we have been for about 20 weeks working our way through the book of Revelation. And uh, there is a bit, when you get into chapter 17, there's a little bit of a, a recap that almost occurs within the text itself. So I thought we would, instead of uh, just using up the clock, we'll do it that way. Tonight, the mystery and destruction of Babylon. And we'll talk about, I have mentioned that in past weeks, although it's, it's been a little, we've had a little break uh, last Sunday night, and so we've been away from the text for a little bit. But I think you'll catch on. Once we start reading and I start talking, you're going to start to see, oh yeah, I remember now what we were, what we were going over in previous weeks. Let me just say this much. Wow. So, there are three um, aligned structures that start to um, ferment and amalgamate and manifest themselves with greater and greater intensity as the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bulls, as those things all start to unfold, you see behind them all, Revelation 12, the great dragon that John, John sees in these visions, these psychedelic kind of visions. And the hard part is to take those and say, what do they have to do with life in York Region in 2018? So Revelation 12, John sees Satan behind, functioning through three particular agencies. Those are represented in personalities that John sees in his visions. So Satan works not directly with a pointy red tail and a pitchfork, but he works through Antichrist. Antichrist is mostly portrayed as working through political structures and kingdoms. We looked at that. I'm not going to review all of that right now. So there's a, a political dimension to um, the persecution of the church and the gospel in particular under Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist, the Apostle John said it was active even in the New Testament age. But he says there is still Antichrist to come. And it will manifest itself, again, not just with some kind of a spooky-looking person, but it will, it will amalgamate around leadership with an individual, but working in political structures, persecuting the gospel and the church. Antichrist. The devil behind them all. Antichrist. The false prophet. The name itself, false prophet. He, he prompts, we saw this Revelation 13, even a little bit into 14, he prompts uh, false worship, false devotion, political structures under Antichrist, corrupt religion, tolerant of everything except the gospel of Jesus Christ under the false prophet, Babylon, which has to do, you'll see as we get into it tonight, the third piece in this power structure, all empowered by Satan. Antichrist, false prophet, Babylon represents, so here you have persecution of a political nature, persecution of a religious nature, not persecution here, seduction pulling people away from devotion to Jesus Christ. Don't just think of sexual seduction. Think of 
things that lure people away from loving Jesus most. Okay? So here's what's going to happen in the end times. Satan's going to be working more and more fiercely. Antichrist and the political structures. The false prophet and religious structures. Babylon and the seduction that pulls people away from loving Jesus more than anything else. Now let's get into our text. I'm going to read 18 verses. I promised Rini I'm going to be... I said, Easter Sunday night, these lovely people come to church. We'll just make it condensed and short and sweet. And she said, whatever you do, don't promise them that. (laughs) The mystery and destruction of Babylon. We'll, We'll get into it, start it tonight, and finish it next Sunday night. Revelation 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls, came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great great prostitute, who is seated on many waters. Remember, it's a vision he's seeing. With whom the, the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with... The wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. So you see, you see um, this great prostitute. That's the picture that he sees. And you see uh, the kings of the earth. So it's, it's sexual immorality that becomes accepted and justified and legitimized by, in this era, kings, but the power structures. So it's... it's It's sexual immorality made legitimate by leadership decree, laws, changes in legislation, official, officially stamped permissiveness. Do you get the picture there? The kings. And then it it spills downward to the dwellers on the earth. They've, They've become, it says they've become drunk. So, uh... Obsessed to the point where normal controls are abandoned. Things that were considered normal aren't. You know, like, like, a, like a drunk person. You, you, you maybe see it, uh, maybe you've seen it on the street, maybe you've seen it in a movie where the police take a person, they think he's drunk and they have him walk a line, a straight line. Well, he can't do it. He's, he's... No boundaries, no, no sense of equilibrium. So this great prostitute, the kings of the earth, sexual immorality, becoming obsessive as it spills downward to the people. And I just just want to say this. How seriously does God take the abandoning of, of his creative design sexually? Like however used to it we get. What you see in this passage is uh, God never adjusts, never accommodates that, that, that it's, it, it retains a repulsiveness in God's eyes that just due to our humanness, we, we find it hard to maintain that. We grow accustomed to the standards and moors of the culture in which we live. Even if on paper we're against it, we're, we're, you don't, the gut-wrenchingness diminishes. 
Not so with God. That, that's the message here. All right, too much talking, Don. Verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and, and it had seven heads and ten horns. If you think about this now, we've seen this beast before in the book of Revelation. That's all I'm going to say. Verse 4. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Let's be clear. By the way, one other thing. Let's be clear that what's being described here isn't sex. It's sexual immorality. I will never forget the day in this church... An elderly woman came storming, and that's the word, into my office because she had heard me say in church that, talking about the Song of Solomon, that I thought it was a biblical picture of married love between a husband and wife and the kind of sexual expression and passion and excitement that was supposed to be there. And she, I mean, she basically thought like I was Antichrist just for, just for even hinting something like that. So in case you're sitting here and you're under 30 thinking we Christians are just a bunch of old, numb prunes who who don't understand... God invented sex. Like all Satan can ever do is take God's great inventions and muck them up. So it's sexual immorality that's being described here. Not sex. Five. And on her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon, the great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, this is interesting, drunk, not with wine now, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. What a vision John sees. Like, just putting this into words. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit to go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. That's the second time he said that. Verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. They are also seven kings. How do you feel? You confused yet? Five of whom have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth. But it belongs to the seven and it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings. Who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with the beast... And these are of one mind and hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them 
Why will the lamb conquer them? Well, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, the waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are the peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So everything in this vision has, has a meaning other than just what John sees. The water isn't water, the angel says. I'm talking about people, a sea of people. And the ten horns, 16, that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great... The woman that you saw... See, you thought it was a woman all along through the whole passage. The woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. God bless you. Thanks for coming. With the pouring out of the seven bowls, what's the important point? Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls. And the most important thing in the book of Revelation is what? Each of the sevens runs right to the very end of the book. The events pile up at the end of the book. And so with the pouring out of the seven bowls of the wrath of God, John has taken us through the events of the great tribulation that is yet to come over the earth. All that's left after this is a more detailed vision of the conclusion. You, so, so here's what happens from 17 till the end of the book. The negative side of the very final events, the negative side is the destruction of Babylon and the powers of Antichrist. That's in 17 and 18. And then after that, you have... From the positive side, the establishment of God's new order, new heavens, new earth. That's 19, 20, 21, 22. It's interesting. It's interesting the way John's visions, and he must have been really confused. But it is interesting when we have it all down. It's interesting to see that the, there is a symmetry here. Kind of a, a parallel structure. So as the book of Revelation comes to a close, you see two cities that are going to be talked about. Babylon and the New Jerusalem. That's how the book's going to wrap up. You are going to see terms of two women. Negatively, this great harlot. Positively, the bride and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so that's how the book will wrap up. We're just going to get into tonight this great iniquity of Babylon, the first point in your notes. It's in the first five verses. It's interesting to me that one of the seven angels, so these seven angels come at the end and they're pouring out these bowls of God's wrath. We started looking at that. The striking thing to me is that there's a, there's a pause, not in the action not in the action, because that event hasn't happened yet, but a pause in the revelation, a pause in the visions. It's one of these angels comes as they're pouring out the wrath of God in these seven bulls, and one of these angels actually stops right in mid-pouring and says to John, do you understand what you're seeing here? 
one of the seven angels, verse 1, who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. Now we know the waters are people, right? We were told that. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality... And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of the earth have become drunk from the leadership down. How did all this happen? Well, he carried me away in the spirit. So John didn't actually move. Carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. So now all of a sudden he's in like a desert. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. I'm reading this again because once we start talking about it, you need these words in your mind. I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. So, so behind this sexual immorality, this abandoning of moors and standards from leadership down, behind it, there's, there's this woman, but it's not just this woman, who's really a city, he tells us at the end, sitting on a beast. So it's, it's, it's empowered by something else. This immorality that we, we look at on sitcoms, we laugh, we think it's clever. Ooh, friends. And, and isn't it neat seeing all this stuff? And there's such cool people. And, and in this vision, John sees, yeah, but see, underneath it, there's this beast with blasphemous names. There, there's, there's a power behind the immorality that you see on the surface. Okay, that's the idea here. A woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, and he's had seven heads, ten horns. This is, this is the kind of antichrist that we saw earlier. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations of the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forename was written the mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. The placing of this woman that John sees is significant. We're told two things about her. Forget all the things we could guess about and no one knows for sure. Here's two things we know. She's pictured sitting on many waters, verse 1. Then she's pictured sitting on a scarlet beast, verse 3. So he tells us, sitting on many waters, it seems contradictory, and then sitting on a scarlet beast. The many waters are explained as peoples, multitudes, nations, languages. That's in verse 15. So in other words... However we end up identifying Babylon that will be judged, it's not merely any one particular city. It, it represents the influence of immorality that sweeps over the earth. Then, in addition to sitting on many waters, she sits on this scarlet beast... And then in a very important explanation, John repeats some details about this beast that we've already seen. In verse 3, the spirit carried me away into the wilderness and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. It had seven heads and ten horns. And I know it's a lot to remember, but if you had your, your Bible open, you could zip back to Revelation 13.1. 
And here's what you would read about. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. In other words, what John is seeing in this picture of this woman sitting on the beast is the reason for the uh, influence that her immorality holds over peoples and nations and kings. She is empowered by Antichrist. She's riding Antichrist. That's what John sees in this vision. She's empowered by Antichrist. Who is empowered by whom? By Satan himself. So there's two important deals here. The woman is shown on the waters to show her relationship to the nations of the earth, the peoples of the earth. And then she's shown, the same woman, she's shown on the beast to show the source of her influence over the peoples of the earth, the power behind her. Her relationship to Antichrist and through Antichrist to the devil. So here's what's going to happen. Don't, don't, don't let just the, the wildness of the vision rob you of the basic truths. In the last days, much of what's going to happen to the church will come through persecution. Persecution arising antichrist, politically, the false prophet, religiously. But, but as much, if not more damage, will be done to the church, not by the persecution of these two. Not everything's going to be achieved by persecution. So this picture of Babylon... Babylon, this woman, this city, these peoples. This picture of Babylon as this great harlot illustrates that much of the damage that will be done to the church of Jesus Christ will be done not by persecution from Antichrist and false prophet, but by temptation, casual attitudes toward things. Why wouldn't we accept the sexual standards of the kings of the earth and our politicians and our movie producers, the people who write our blogs and who develop websites, the people who write music. Why wouldn't we adopt those standards? They're accepted. And so there'll be persecution, persecution, seduction. As I said earlier in this series, I believe what you see forming up in these, in these days, I'm not saying that, that they are new forces that have not been active previously. I believe they have through history. But I believe what you have revealed in the book of Revelation, at the very least, is an intensification of all these things. So you'll have this, this I don't want to use the word trinity, um, this this tri-power of Antichrist, the empire, the political structures, the false prophet and, and a corrupt religious system, tolerance gone bad. 
And then this picture of Babylon. This woman, this city, and its seductive influence over the waters, the peoples of the earth, and the kings, the leaders of the earth. And all three of these, Antichrist, false prophet, Babylon, all three empowered by Satan himself. Okay, we're almost done. Back to this picture of Babylon just for a minute. The woman and the beast that carries her. Six through eight. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel? That to me, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be irreverent, but that strikes me as just about the dumbest question. Would you not be marveling, (laughs) looking at what, what he sees? Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and the beast with the seven heads and the ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. So, so whatever John sees, there's this little clue from this angelic being that this beast is going to be destroyed. Not right yet, but going to be. And, and he's comforted with that, John. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. The main feature of the woman, the first feature, we'll get to others next week, is, is her drunkenness. So she's out of control. There's a, there's a recklessness, but she's not drunk on wine. She's drunk with the blood of the saints and the martyrs. So, so get this. There's really a clever picture unfolded here. What looks like, what looks like from this, this woman, what looks like an offer of pleasure, and what feels like an offer of pleasure at the beginning, is going to end in destruction. There's a drunkenness in this woman, all right, which we know isn't a woman, it's a city, it's, a, it's a, an influence. The drunkenness comes from the blood of the saints and and the martyrs. At first, she seduces. But in her allegiance with Antichrist, remember the beast she's riding? Antichrist? Whatever appears in terms of temptation and and seduction is, is going to end in destruction. It's always that way with temptation, isn't it? It's always that way. It's a terrible thing in any kind of temptation to pick a temptation and then define your identity around it. It's a dangerous thing. She is, she is uh, pleasing, alluring to those who are of the earth to follow in her ways and at the same time she's absolutely intolerant of those who reject her enticements, those who want to follow Christ. She will lead people into anything except devotion to Christ. Does that sound like the spirit of our age? There's there's something in her appearance that fills John with wonder, so much so that the angel notices something on John's face and questions him about it. Verse 7. Why do you marvel? 
Probably, text doesn't say. We don't know. Probably what made John marvel or wonder was the fact that he had been told by the angel at the beginning of this vision, 17.1, first verse, about the destruction of Babylon. Okay? That's where he thought this was all going. And so far, all he sees in this vision is she looks powerful as she rides on all the power and influence of Antichrist. She looks rich, well-dressed, successful, drunk with her victory over the saints. And the angel tries to explain, well, destruction will come, but only through the unfolding events of the seven heads and the ten horns in verse 7. And that's the part of the vision the angel goes on to explain. We won't get to finish it, but the first thing to notice is that the woman and the beast she is riding are so tightly linked together that that John's vision, while it starts being a vision of Babylon, this harlot, this woman, while it starts saying a vision about Babylon, it ends up being a vision of Antichrist. That's interesting to me. What, what it says is, you, these, these two can't be separated. So, so there's nothing neutral or innocent in the temptation itself. You, this is what happens all the time in the body of Christ. People look at the temptation without seeing who's behind the temptation. That's why when John gives us the vision of this seductress, this temptress, what he does is he places her on Antichrist so that you can't see one without seeing the other. Do you get it? You can't just look at the temptation. You have to see the root of it. The explanation, the explanation isn't just about the woman riding the beast. The explanation is of the woman and the beast she rides. Babylon and the beast... Two mysteries, but one, really. They're one in purpose. They're one in function. Of course, the hard part is in verse 8. And the beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. Though the, the big detail is obviously the repetition of that phrase concerning the beast. Not talking about the woman anymore. The beast that he was and is not and is to come. Now what John is doing, he's getting the very same picture of the beast that he received in Revelation 13. Let me just read it to you. This is a description now of the beast that this woman is riding in Revelation 17. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. 13.12, it exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes 
the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. So the false prophet, making them worship Antichrist, whose mortal wound was healed. See, was, is not, and then it's the same idea, exactly the same idea. 1314, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So something repeated that frequently by John. It's meant to be seen as some kind of key interpretive element. Somehow, the beast, Antichrist, experienced these, experiences these, these stages. It was, it, it is not, and it is to come. And that's what we're going to look at next Sunday night. You can put your notes away. Look at that. There's some things we should learn, just basic truths about temptation in tonight's study. They're not complicated. They're not just eschatological truths. That, that, that what you see on the surface of any temptation, particularly, I think, sexual immorality, but not exclusively, what you see on the surface of any temptation is never what's underneath the temptation. This woman's riding the beast. Antichrist. Powered by Satan. And no matter how many kings and leaders and authorities find um, an easy acquiescence into different kinds of socially accepted immorality, it will increasingly be the source of persecution for the church that she refuses to accept those standards. That's why this woman is drunk on the blood of the saints. The immorality gets tied to the persecution because if there's one thing this world can't stand, it's a group of people that are intolerant enough to say, no more, this isn't right. So you can see how that opens up all sorts of things in the last days. We're getting close. It's a true book, God's Word. Let's pray.